On that note, uh, we welcome our guests to the studio at uh, 17 minutes past eight on Money Talk. And let's say hello and good morning to Andrew Ferris, who is CEO at Ecognosis Advisory. Uh, good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Uh, nice to have you on the show as normal on a Friday. And let's say hello and good morning to Peter Austin, head of Global Multi-Asset Solutions at uh, T. Rowe Price. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Hong Kong, Peter. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, thanks for being on Money Talk. Uh, guys, let's start by uh, looking at where we are with the U.S. Uh, debt ceiling. Um, are we are we positive or negative? Kevin McCarthy and President Biden seem to be saying that we're we're getting there and the deal is likely to be done. But June the first is on the horizon and it's not too far away. Peter, what do you make of it? Well, good morning. Thanks again for inviting me today. And uh, the debt ceiling certainly is a topic that is on the minds of global investors for many many good reasons. What gives me great confidence that a deal will be uh, realized is the openness of uh, Leader McCarthy to the discussions that are taking place. Senior leaders from the parties uh, and from the White House are meeting this weekend to work out a deal. I think uh, a deal is unlikely to be inked early next week because we still have time and uh, as uh, was stated earlier in the show, there is still some things to be worked out in terms of the details of the um, uh, the arrangement hmm. and the negotiations. But it's a very, very positive sign that the Republicans are willing to and uh, are encouraging a settlement of the talks. Andrew, is this whole thing a bit of a storm in a teacup? We're going to make it anyway, so are we making a fuss about nothing? No, I think you've been very rude about storm in a teacup. It's a colossal yawn, in fact. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember that since the year 2000, there have been at least eight different occasions where there has been a, a, a sort of a cliffhanger. Understand, and I find this absolutely amazing, that since 1945, the end of the war, the debt ceiling has been raised 77 times. And also, I want to know what they are quarreling about. Actually, one key stumbling point over their, their discussion, which shows you how the whole thing has lost complete sense, is extending a kind of a health insurance subsidized by the federal government and also access to subsidized supermarkets that are all mean tested and the Republicans want to make them a little bit tougher. Now, is that a reason, in fact, to close down the United States government? And uh, people don't remember that. Sorry, I'm going to yell and shout. I think I can remember three occasions when the government did close down. The national parks were closed. The, the Ministry of Defense was not. It was kept open. Minister of Agriculture was closed. I call it Minister. Department of State of Agriculture was closed. So the American government has been closed down. And guess what? The Fed managed to find a little bit of funds mm. because default means three separate things. You don't repay capital, you don't repay interest, and you don't repay both. And the Fed was always agile enough to at least service the interest rate payment on the very short-term side of, of the debt. So all of it is a repeated sad performance, okay, on the incapacity of the American political system to find something which is utterly predictable. Every year, okay, the Fed, uh, sorry, the, the debt needs to be revised. Mm. So why on earth they haven't revised, they haven't devised the system that will do it fairly automatically?
No strong views at all there, Andrew. No, um, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, whether or not the uh, debt ceiling is breached, is, is a recession, uh, Peter, inevitable in the US? You know, given what's going on with interest rates, you know, this banking crisis that we've all been seeing for the last couple of months. What are your thoughts there? Well, uh, what I can be sure of is that Andrew is going to have a view, and, and I appreciate uh, his comments because it, it, uh, from, from an outside person looking in, it's mystifying how these topics that are so important, not only to our government but to the world, can be uh, pulled into a political quagmire of uh, posturing. Uh, but that's the way uh, our government uh, is structured. And it would be nice someday for this to be addressed uh, in terms of the debt ceiling and taking a, a, a more logical approach. But but uh, that's not where we are today. To your question about recession, once we get beyond the debt ceiling issue, now we'll be back to what really is more important, which is central bank policy in the U.S., what the Fed actions uh could be or will be, and to what degree uh, we see the the signs of recession. My view, and and uh, we don't have a house view in our organization per se, but we certainly have uh, economists and analysts that develop views that that we uh, all take into account and generate typically consensus around. Is that there is a risk of recession. I personally, and I, like Andrew, I've seen many, many different market cycles. Uh, there's more to come. This has been the steepest increase in interest rates in the history of the Fed. And we have not seen the transmission of those increases in their full, to their fullest extent in the U.S. economy. And that's not going to be realized until later this year. And so while Treasury Secretary Yellen recently indicated that she believes there is a chance for a soft landing. Uh, I think the jury is out, and it's out because the the dots are not in the right place yet for us to have a more definitive view. That said, what's been very surprising to me is the strength of the U.S. economy, the strength of the consumer segment, the amount of liquidity that exists today in the market, Uh, I saw today that money market deposits have reached an all-time high, not surprising given the uh, inversion of our our yield curve. And there's money on the sidelines waiting to see what's going to happen. But but I would say that from from our perspective, a hard landing seems to be something that is more in the distance, albeit if there is some existential event that occurs, then obviously all bets are off. Now, obviously, Peter, you're looking in on Asia uh, from outside. We're looking in on the U.S. from uh, from outside. Um, as you come into your trip to Asia, to Hong Kong, what do you see? What what are what are the what are the positives that uh, that you're looking for in Asia? So, I'll speak specifically uh, to the two biggest markets, China and and Japan. And uh, I'm in Hong Kong uh, today, and over the weekend, I'll be in. Uh, Beijing and Shanghai next week, and then I'll be in Tokyo at the end of next week. Uh, we are a global investment organization. We manage uh, over $400 billion U.S. in multi-asset strategies across the globe and across different investment 
uh, profiles and objectives. And uh, many, if not most, of those strategies incorporate uh, global equity markets where we are able to, given our expertise in research, allocate across markets to find the best opportunity for our investors relative to their home market. And we are universally overweight China and Japan equity markets because we see valuations very attractive uh, in Japan. We see the China reopening as a global necessity. And, um, and with China now in stage two of their recovery, where you're beginning to see uh, consumers spending beyond uh, restaurants and travel, uh, we are encouraged. Now, I know recent uh, data for China shows a some disappointing results relative to what was expected. Nonetheless, the signs of growth are are absolutely in place. And uh, our equity uh, portfolio manager who runs our China evolution strategy is uh, overweight those consumer segments. And by the way, what he focuses on are our domestic Chinese companies. Hmm. He's bullish on the consumer discretionary sector, um, uh, as well as business services. Again, the the engines of growth for the domestic Chinese economy. Andrew, are those views that you would agree with? Are you seeing uh, green shoots of recovery in uh, in China? No, no, I'm afraid not. Uh, it is it de- depends what you mean by recovery. The fact that uh, the the GDP growth is not growing at zero, it's perfectly right. It is not. Chinese uh, government thinks it's going to grow up at 5%. The figures we had for the first quarter simply indicates a performance which is flat. And unfortunately, it is hugely influenced in some key numbers like uh, retail sales and industrial output on a year-to-year basis. You know, the Chinese give very few quarter on, uh, month-to-month, never mind quarter-on-quarter numbers. So we are relying on year-to-year basis, which incidentally I like, I prefer them, infinitely to month-on-month numbers. Okay, the year-on-year basis are really influenced by extremely low numbers a year ago, which means a recovery of retail sales by 18% has to be matched by the fact that 12 months ago, retail sales were shrinking by 12.1%. Of course, they are growing now by 18%. Ditto with industrial output. Again, it was not as dramatic as that. It was, I think it was falling by, I don't know, something like uh, 5 6%. 12 months ago, and now it's growing by about 5%. So uh, if I was to do Mickey Mouse calculations, the consumers are not spending additionally more. If anything, Mm. they're still not anywhere near retail sales that they were there before. Also, something very important, the purchasing manager index numbers, the two ones we have, the Kaixin and the, I never remember the initials of the other one, the, the, the unofficial one, mm-hmm. they are floating around reluctantly, the 50 mark. In other words, they go down to 49, then they go out to 51, and they are not quite recession, they are not quite expansion. Uh, that's one important point. And also, housing prices, okay, in the 70 biggest cities in China, for the last nearly, going up to something like 14 months, 
have been shrinking. Now they have been shrinking less. So quickly, Andrew, positive, positive or no, negative? Running out negative. of time. No, no, no. Negative. It's, it's negative to flat, of course. I'm sorry. Okay. But I, I have to explain to you why I say that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, interest rates in China uh, this week left unchanged by the central bank. Uh, Peter, just before we go, looking ahead to uh, the Fed and the June meeting, are you going to see interest rates on hold or, or still going up? What do you think? That's a good question. Uh, in fact, one of the Fed governors today uh, used a term that has not been used much, if at all. It's called skipping. Maybe we should skip the meeting. And that's uh, a, new, <laughs> a new definition of, of perhaps indecision. Um, and the skip it was intended to suggest that there would be no news coming out. Uh, what's interesting with regard to the Fed is we now have uh, increasing bifurcation be between the hawks and doves. And to me, that suggests, just based on my experience, that we probably won't see a move in June. Right. Unless there are data that those on the dovish side believe are uh, important to address. Because at the end of the day, and this is my last my last comment, in 1977, the Fed took the brakes off inflation when CPI was six percent, mm. and uh, and what the Federal Reserve and Powell and company need to avoid is keeping or taking their foot off the pedal too early, because that move in 1977 led to. Uh, the hyperinflation that we saw in the late 70s to early 80s. So at the end of the day, the Fed is going to kill inflation. Uh, Peter Austin, uh, head of global multi-asset solutions at T. Rowe Price. Uh, Peter, thanks very much. Enjoy your Asian tour. And thank you to Andrew Ferris, CEO, uh, eCognosis Advisory as well.